Hi there, and welcome to Cancer Hold My Beer. This is episode three. Fuck. What? Cancer Hold My Beer. So, this is going to continue from that same day when I got my diagnosis and leaving the hospital. Things were pretty quiet. Things were, uh, what do you say, right? It's, you know, he's thinking things, I'm thinking things. And I don't think they were the same things personally, but some of them might have been the same things. But, I mean, when you hear your wife has cancer, the first thing you think is she's going to die. But I knew I wasn't going to die. Because I'll be fucking damned if I'm going to let something kill me like that. It's enough that I'm going to let my husband kill me with all of his bullshit. But, I mean, cancer? No. It didn't even stand a chance. Because in my head, dying was not an option. And it never, ever will be. For me. I mean, I consider myself lucky that I'm able to say that. Because there was something inside me that was like, I am, I am going to get through this. I am going to do this and I'm going to fucking rock it. And I am going to do everything in my power to fight this as hard as I can. Now, this is where uh, this episode's quote comes from. Um, so I'm going to read it. And if you feel like life is consuming you in its fire, remember this. Sometimes it is necessary for the land to be scorched and its history purified before something new can grow. How fucking true is that? My new story of my life. So I remember coming home and I just remember thinking to myself like all going back and just thinking back to every thing that I had been through up until that point and I was like I mean man it's really not the optimal answer it's not what anybody wants to hear but I have an answer like I mean yeah it sucks and it's not something I want but it really felt like I had won this lottery of oh my god I have an answer it is not a hemorrhoid then I'm like oh my god it's not a hemorrhoid I am so going to headbutt that doctor when I see her. Oh, my God. Okay. And let me tell you, every time that I have to go to the emergency room, whether it's for me or my husband or my kids, I look for that doctor. I do. I look around and I see if I can see her. I am that determined to give somebody a fucking headbutt. So now came the hard part. And I know maybe this wouldn't be considered maybe the hard part of all this. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there are other parts that would be considered hard. Like, I don't know, going for a colonoscopy or 
getting exactly what stage your cancer's at, uh, getting ready for surgery, you know, that kind of stuff. But for me, the hardest part at that moment was now having to tell people. I, for one, hate talking about myself to begin with. The last thing I want to do is tell people that I have cancer. And on top of that, I couldn't even say that word because it was so unbelievable because it's like so not me. How the fuck did I get this? What the fuck did I do to get this? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I took care of my body. I was, you know, continuously working out. I was in like a sport. I was playing roller derby. I didn't eat completely shitty. I was gluten free. I didn't have any bread. I mean, I wasn't like, I had like, you know, some like junk food now and then, but I wasn't constantly shoving it in my body. I mean, I took care of myself. And I made sure to get exercise and fresh air and you know, not be too stressed out. And, you know, like, for God's sakes, how did this happen? Now, from what the surgeon tells me, apparently this has been in my body for a long time. Well, what the fuck? How is it that I didn't even know even before this? What was it that, what, why was it hiding in my body for such a long time? I don't get it. So now it's the next day. It's October 10th. I go back to work first place I go to is my boss's office. I open the door, go in, tell him I have to talk to him. We shut the doors and I tell him, okay, well, remember when they said it wasn't cancer? It is. And I'm going to need time off. So... I decide, okay, well, you know, I think I can make it till December 3rd. Now, this is October 10th. I'll try. I'll try to make it to December 3rd. I wasn't even two weeks in after that. And I went back to him and said, I, I have to make it November. It has to be November 8th. I won't last until December 3rd. It went from being somewhat manageable to painful to just being completely unbearable now. I had no energy. I was now missing work. Um, there was days I couldn't get up. And I can't do I'm like, I can't do this. I am... I'm a safety hazard now. I can barely walk straight. I can't walk around without being in pain. I have to take pain meds in order to control the pain. I I can't do this. I mean, what am I doing? Why am I worried about working? Dude, you have cancer. 
but I couldn't tell myself that. I just wanted to keep on going because, like, I didn't want to fail anybody. And realistically, I could have stopped working at that exact point. Like, they'll be okay, dude. Like, go home and... No, I had to do until November 8th. Why? Because I didn't want to miss inventory. Seriously, I am not kidding. I did not want to miss being there for inventory. Now, where I do inventory is at a truck dealership. I work for an international truck dealership. Have you seen the size of those fucking trucks? Well, imagine the size of their fucking parts. And I needed to stay for inventory. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, I know. I am crazy. I fully admit it. I am crazy. But I wanted to at least do that one thing before I left. I wanted to be there to help everyone out. I didn't want to leave them hanging. We're busy. We barely have any people there as it is. We needed the bodies to do it. So I managed. I did it. It was hard. It was brutally hard, but I did it. And I'm glad I did. It's like we stay until like, you know, seven o'clock at night on Friday and then show up Saturday morning and then stay Saturday during the day. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. So it's like you put in a full day on Friday and then you're there till seven at night. Well, my body's already tired. My body is already even done before I even get up in the morning because of all this. So Imagine putting in a full day's work and on top of, you know, a few hours of inventory. I was at that point where it's like, I need a chair to sit in and I cannot fucking move. I need to sit here and write stuff down. I can't, I'm at that point where I can no longer pick anything up because my body is so worn down. But we got her done. Uh, I did end up going home early. Uh, but I mean, that's all good. I mean, I, I put my fair share in and I felt okay with it and everyone else did. I don't think anybody would have really had an issue if I didn't even go in, but I needed to go in for myself. Uh, so the next week after that was my last week and, you know, tied everything up, you know, made sure that, you know, I didn't leave anything behind and then the journey began. Now we're going to rewind a bit. So I was talking about work and telling people and stuff. Um, so telling work was hard. But telling my family was even harder. Uh 
pretty much everyone took it okay. But it really, it broke my heart because it was like, I can't believe I'm telling people this. You know, it's like, it's the hardest thing to tell people. It's, this is not something you want to, I would have given anything in the world to just say something else to tell them. This is not something I want to tell them. Now, when I told my brother, that's when I found out that apparently my father, before he passed away, they had found that he had colon cancer. And I couldn't believe it because I'm like, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't know there was a family history. So now I'm thinking, oh my God, you don't like, how is, we can't. We have to tell people. We have to let them know. Like, let everybody know. Go get a colonoscopy done. Which brings me to the next part. So, October 14th was the day that I got a lovely um, prep mix to take for the colonoscopy, which was October 15th. So, remember how the enemas made me poop? This stuff made you poop, and it didn't stop. And not only was it poop, massive, explosive diarrhea. Let me tell you, I was empty. Relieved, happy, empty, but it was not enjoyable at all. It was horrible. That shit tasted horrible. And it was like drinking sand. It's just so gross. But you gotta do what you gotta do. Now, so... Go for my colonoscopy on the 15th. Let me tell you that it's an experience. I mean, you got to get it done. You have to. But oh man. Oh, oh my God. Okay, so I get walked into the like area where they do the testing and doctor's beside me everything's gonna be okay you know we're gonna sedate you and you know you're not gonna feel a thing and you're just gonna feel pressure but all right okay so I get an IV and I get the sedative put in and I'm like okay let's just fucking rock this and get this shit over with then I see what he's going to put up my ass I am not shitting you haha it is the size of a fucking garden hose. I'm like, oh, we're not doing this again, are we? Like, is, there better be some fucking alcohol or some meat on a fucking stick somewhere. Because if I'm taking that, you're buying me fucking dinner. Oh, my God. So, I'm laying there. And 
Okay, it's going in now. Okay, good. Okay, at least he gave me a warning. But th then, then you start feeling the little alien arms kind of creeping out of the fucking garden hose. And you look at the camera and it's like, oh, I can see my colon. That's fantastic. Oh, but all in all, it is pretty fucking interesting. So I'm watching this and I'm watching him snake through, you know, like those plumbing snakes. Yeah, like that. So it's like, ooh, okay. Yeah, it's great. And it's like, oh, okay. And he's like, okay, now we're going to go back. So he starts pulling it out and you see, you know, it's rewinding everything, huh? Then he gets to the tumor. Now, he says, this is where your tumor is. And I see my tumor. Let me tell you, that was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen in my entire fucking life. It looks like death. I am not kidding. It is the most horrendous, dark piece of bullshit I have ever seen in my life. And I'm sitting there, or lying there, and I'm looking at this. I can't believe it. I'm like, and where it was, it was about an inch away from the anus. Now, you stick your finger in, and it was right fucking there. So that's an issue. And that's why it wasn't detected in the ultrasound that Dr. Mackey gave me, because it didn't go that far. And it's an issue because of the surgery that I would need to get. But here's the part of the colonoscopy that gets really interesting. So, remember the little snake arm things, little alien arms going up? Well, he's got to take a biopsy of this tumor. And he's like, you're going to feel some tugging. And I'm watching on the screen. And I see these little fucking little mouths, like little, like little spoons, tiny little spoons. And I see them taking bites out of my tumor. And as they're taking bites, I can feel it fucking pulling. And I can't believe I'm watching. It's like watching a horror movie. I'm like, oh my God. And this is my body. This is inside my body doing this. And I'm like, I just want this over. I just wanted that. And you can see the blood coming out as these fucking little fucking mouths are eating parts of the tumor. And it's like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, finally it was done. So then I had to go in, rest, stay in recovery for a bit to let the sedative wear off. And then I went home. Well, that was fun. So now we wait for the results. Now, my appointment to get my results with the surgeon isn't until uh, November 20th. Um, but in the meantime, I do have another appointment booked with my family doctor. 
uh, to possibly get the results if they're ready. In the meantime, I have a lot of time to kill now. Um, I finished work November 8th. So now I get to spend some time with my new grandbaby. She was born September 4th. Uh, with all the hoopla and everything going on, I didn't really get a chance to really spend some time with her. Uh, but now I do, so I'm taking advantage of all that time. So I go over, give the kids a break, have them go out for dinner, and Grandpa and I are babysitters. And let me tell you, that was a lot of fun. Holding a brand new baby, kissing her, hugging her, putting her to bed feeding her it just there's something about being a grandma compared to a mom I love being a mom but uh, being a grandma is like that next step of greatness but uh, November 14th uh, rolled in pretty quick that was my appointment with my family doctor so she had the results of the biopsy uh, it turned out that uh, the biopsy revealed that what I had was stage 3B adenocarcinoma. Now, the uh, numerical term for that is T3N1NOSM0. T3 stands for uh, the tumor growth. So now with this, uh, the 3B basically is uh, the tumor that has grown through the muscularis papyrus, which is like the muscular tissue, and into the subserosa, uh, which is a thin layer of connective tissue beneath the outer layer of some parts of the large intestine, or it has grown into tissue surrounding the colon or the rectum. The N1 part uh, stands for the amount of lymph nodes that it's um, attach itself to. So N1 means that a few cancer cells have reached one or more lymph nodes. NOS uh, stands for not otherwise specified. So the adenocarcinoma not otherwise specified is a malignant epithelial salivary gland tumor with glandular or ductual adenocarcinoma I can't even say it, adenocarcinomatous differentiation, but without other specific histiologic features, allowing for a more definitive classification and that correct characterize the other defined types of salivary carcinoma. The M0 uh, stands for the metastasis, so M0, M plus 0, the disease has not spread to a distant part of the body. So basically, it never made it into my blood. Uh, it never uh, went into any of the other organs or anything like that. Uh, from what I was told, it was uh, pretty, um, it was within, within its own little area, like it didn't grow out much. Uh, it didn't like spread out or branch out or anything like that. So it was like a self-contained tumor. Now at that point too, I was still um, going for an echocardiogram for the pericardial effusion. 
um, it was slight. It stayed that way for a while. It didn't uh, change. It didn't get worse, which was good, but it stayed the same. Um, so basically, I got results from uh, my testing that I had done, and uh, now I was just waiting to see the specialist, the surgeon, and see what the plan of attack was. Well, now, between my appointment with my family doctor and the surgeon, realistically, there was only six days difference. But let me tell you, it was six days that just felt like forever. Everything just seems to drag even longer and feel like it takes so much longer when you have uh, all this information that's being pumped into you. Finally, November 20th rolls around. It's like any morning now, you wake up and you're like, man, is this really happening? It's just, everything's so surreal. It's like, it's, it's like, it doesn't feel real. It just feels like you've walked into this nightmare that, you know, is like a never ending and you don't, like you're awake, but you're not awake at the same time. So we go, we get there, walk into the office. And it's like this sterile, white environment when you walk in. It feels so hospital-like. So we're sitting there and it's, you just don't know what to say or how to say it anymore. You're just so like, you try actually not to say anything. You just stay quiet and just look at each other like, is this real? Like, is this really, really real? So now we're being called in, you go into the little room, typical little, you know, doctor's room with the exam table, chairs, and you know, typical doctor's office. Well, he walks in, shuts the door, says, good to see you, we got the results, stage 3B cancer this is what we're gonna do like I said he's very not chit chatty he's just right to the point so his plan was 12 weeks of chemo radiotherapy which is a mixture of chemo and radiation done at the same time during those 12 weeks so I'll start with the chemo so basically uh Chemo is going to be done by pill form. It's twice a day, every 12 hours. Now, the amount of milligrams that you get each uh, daily dose is uh, slightly above 1,300 milligrams. So that's basically two horse pills and three little ones. Now, with this, you can't touch the pills. You have to get them in the container somehow from the little uh, blister pack, dump them in, take them with the container, because uh, if you touch them, you get this residue, and you can actually um, pass that residue over to other different things. And what happens with that residue is it's such a potent um, chemotherapy drug that you can actually pass on secondary chemo to people which is 
Um, it's very dangerous. So the name of the drug is oxaliplatin, uh, which the pills are called capsidabine. And like I said, they're horse pills and they're toxic and they're dangerous. So I had to clean the surface, make sure my surface was clean. And even while I was taking the chemotherapy, I had to make sure that anything coming out of my body would not come in contact with other people. So any bodily fluid you could not have come in contact with other people. So, I mean, you can hug and you can like give a little peck on the cheek and stuff, but anything more, um, you're putting that person at risk. So you can imagine um, having one bathroom in the house and you know, a house full of people. So it, it, it was a chore because, you know, I'm fighting cancer and, you know, trying to keep the rest of my family safe at the same time. So basically what's saving me can possibly harm my family. So radiation. So radiation, uh, there's two types of radiation you can get. You can get the uh, radiation that's through intravenous or you can get the radiation uh, that is like the big microwave kind of x-ray machine kind of thing. Well, I didn't uh, need the one that was uh, with intravenous because my type of cancer was not in my blood or anything. So, um, so it was with the big radiation machine, the microwave, I call it. The radiation was five days a week. For 12 weeks and on top of that uh, were what they call uh, boosters so I had three booster uh, treatments which is kind of like uh, it's the typical radiation but they tend to center it more on the tumor and it's a little bit more powerful so I had three of those and those actually like they hurt like it's um, I, I wouldn't say they didn't hurt at the time that I was getting it done, but afterwards I felt it. I felt it more after those three times than I did throughout the whole 12 weeks. Now, in order to uh, get the most benefit from radiation, you had to have like your, they had to measure the tumor. So they had to do an MRI. So I did an MRI, figured out where exactly the tumor was. From then, you go for what's called a, um, like a, uh, like a CT scan, but it's not a real CT scan. It's just kind of for placement. And uh, what I mean by placement is they take a look at where that tumor is. And they actually do little tattoo dots where they want the radiation to um, line up. So it's all, once they get that machine lined up, they get the tattoos marked. Well, then every treatment will be geared with those uh, placement numbers and then those dots. So they count on that, so that that beam, that microwave beam, radiation beam is actually hitting the tumor every single time. And it's not just like a random hit.
And then the last uh, treatment option is surgery. Now the surgery that is to be performed is what they call a low anterior resection with external anatomical resection of the left side levator. And then uh, on top of that, um, they're going to do a temporary ileostomy. So basically, a low anterior resection is uh, it's a common surgery for rectal cancer. Uh, it involves the removal of the rectum. The colon, the colon is then attached to the remaining section of the rectum, or in my case, a sphincter, to allow for normal bowel movement. Now, when they do the external anatomical resection of uh, the left side of the levator, which is specifically my case, they're basically saving the sphincter. So they have to rebuild it and then attach it to the colon. And then in order for that to heal, they have to do what's called a diverting loop ileostomy. Now an ileostomy is something like uh, if you've ever seen anybody with an ostomy pouch on their side, well, ileostomy basically is a loop of your small intestine. They stick it out of the abdominal wall. It comes out of your belly. And then they slice it open, fold it over, and sew that on the, uh, on basically into your belly. So now you've got, you know, this thing that looks like a little alien sticking out of your belly. And then there's the little ostomy pouches that go over top and it, collects your waste. So that was the plan of attack. Now, to a lot of people, it doesn't sound like it's something you'd want. Let me tell you, it's not something you want. But when it's a choice between life and death, you're going to take it because you want to live. So I think I'm going to leave that here for today. Um, I'll be honest, I'm uh, really not uh, feeling all that great. Uh, just super, super tired and just uh, just not feeling very much um, in the last few days. So, But I just want to thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully next week uh, I feel a little better. I'm going to try. I think I just need to rest and stuff. I've been uh, I've been pretty busy. I have some other projects that I'm working on too, so you'll be able to see those soon. But I'm excited. Um, so uh, stay safe, uh, and, uh, and thank you for listening. And again, uh, if you know anybody that can benefit from listening to this, please pass this along. Thank you. Hi there, and welcome to episode four of Cancer Hold My Beer. So in today's episode, I'm actually going to talk about uh, the ending of episode three. Um, I wasn't uh, feeling the greatest that day, so we're going to touch on that. Uh, and as well, um, we're going to go into my first day of uh, me getting my radiation and starting my chemotherapy. So I have a lovely quote uh, to start this episode. 
and here it is. I am a warrior, not because I always win, but because I will always fight. Okay, so let's start. So uh, I left episode three uh, feeling pretty crappy, shitty, tired, and just, I was not feeling it. My head was just spinning and everything, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and really, uh, after that day, that whole week, I just felt horrible. And I discovered what it was that was making me feel really bad. And it was, uh, actually, it was the coffee I was drinking. So, uh, I like to say that coffee broke up with me. So part of this is just me I wanted to say uh, sorry for having to tap out early on that episode. And uh, I'm going to kind of touch on some of the things that uh, I missed uh, in the last little bit. Uh, so uh, with no further ado, here we go. So there are some things that I forgot to mention. Um, my surgeon, Dr. Casado, he ordered an MRI uh, to show the placement of the tumor. Now, that MRI was sent to the radiologist and the oncologist. So with that MRI, it helped them uh, determine exactly what type of radiation and uh, chemotherapy was going to be uh, given to me. So November 28th, this is what I'd like to call the radiotherapy orientation. So basically, it was an appointment to meet the radiologist, the oncologist, uh, get the treatment plan and what I'd be feeling and kind of set things up in order to do the chemotherapy and the, um, the radiation. Now, first up was the radiologist. Now, I was not expecting anything I wasn't expecting to have a digit stuck up my butt again, but that, that happened. And I'm so done with this. It's like, I really didn't want this, but I didn't have much of a choice. Now, the reason why he had to do it was because he had to see how, uh, what the distance was between the sphincter and the tumor, because in order to save the sphincter, uh, it had to be a certain distance and basically my tumor was laying right on the line where they would have to cut in order to do the reattachment. So it was like not even, it was less than a millimeter difference. So it was uh, pretty close. So they figured by having the radiation, it would probably shrink, hopefully shrink the tumor enough so that it would give them some more room. He's now going over of my MRI and telling me what my tumor looks like. Now, he drew it for me, so I'm gonna draw you a picture, but mentally. So imagine, um, you know, those black plumbing pipes. So imagine an inch and a half diameter plumbing pipe. Well, that's my rectum and anus and sphincter and all that jazz. Now get yourself a mini donut. So 
take about maybe a third out of that mini donut and stick it in that plumbing pipe about an inch up. That is exactly what my tumor looked like from what they could see. The rest was on the inside going towards the left side of my groin. I kind of like to say that uh, it's like finding Dunkin's Donut. Ha <laughs> Little joke there. So now he's telling me, yeah, you know what? Everything looks pretty good. It looks like we might be able to save it, but I can't say for sure. Um, so you'll probably still be able to have a sphincter, which would help me with uh, having that surgery. Um, would help me retain and have some type of control. Now he's going on the side effects of the radiation. Now, none of this is fun to begin with. When you start hearing these side effects, it's like, okay, I'm already going to be going through this. It's already going to be hell. Now you're telling me it's going to be like hell on top of hell. So here we go. The first one, diarrhea. Okay, to be honest with you, it's kind of a blessing if I get diarrhea at this point because I can't poop. Number two, bladder and vaginal irritation. Okay, so when you first hear this, when you first, you don't even, even had a treatment yet, you're like, okay, like I, I've had UTIs, I've had bladder infections. Okay, it's not too bad. Yeast infections. Okay, well, I've never had a yeast infection and I know it's weird, but I've never had one. So it's like, I don't know what a yeast infection feels like. I've only heard stories. So I'm like, you know what? That's the least of my problems right now. Fatigue. Fatigue. Oh, well, I'm already tired. So it's like, I'll just rest when I'm tired. That's not a big deal. Infertility. Not to some, yeah, that's going to be an issue. But for me, I've had a hysterectomy. I'm not going to have any more kids. So uh, that's not going to be an issue for me. Sexual side effects. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's a problem. And induced menopause. So basically, radiation throws you right into menopause. Well, with having the hysterectomy, they saved one ovary. So I still had some uh, hormones going through me, but I knew I'd be going into early menopause at some point. But now, this radiation is going to throw me into like severe menopause so like there's no like gradual going into it it's like from you're feeling good to like you're gonna have hot flashes constantly your vagina is gonna shrivel up and dry up and yeah it, you're gonna be a 80 year old woman in a 45 year old woman's body now before I left they gave me a goodie bag. I call it a goodie bag because it was a black cloth-like bag with a whole pile of pamphlets in it regarding the radiation and all the steps and everything that we've basically discussed. But in case I forget or I can't retain anything, you know what? I've got all the information in this bag. So they gave me that. So then tells me, well, we don't, we haven't heard from the oncologist. I'm going to get them this information to them that you've seen me and we'll get you your appointment with your oncologist. Perfect. So now I'm going home because, well, 
you know, I gotta go home and wait for the uh, the hospital to call me because now cancer is my career. So the hospital calls. I get an appointment on December 2nd to have my simulated CT done. And the simulated CT, like I said in episode three, was basically to line up uh, the points where that basically that microwave uh, radiation beam would hit. So they want to like localize it really, really good. So um, they put you in like a CT machine, they take an image of you and then they find out exactly where the tumor is. They make take measurements of uh, the area that where your tumor is and they put uh, little tattoo dots. So one is right below my navel but just above my pubic bone uh, and the other two are on my hips. So just right where the hip bone is. Now with those measurements, there's a whole pile of numbers. So they take all those numbers down so that those numbers will be transferred to the uh, radiation radiology machine. So it's like a big x-ray machine, but like an MRI machine kind of looking thing. So now after that, it was a pretty easy um, appointment. Nothing really too uh, involved. Uh, so basically just went home and rested and waited for my appointment, which was basically the next day. So December 3rd, I ended up seeing the oncologist. Uh, he didn't want to do a digital exam, which I was very quite thankful for. Um, so I think though the days of my uh, digital exams were, uh, were done. He didn't want to stick a finger up my butt. So now he just basically took the vitals, uh, blood pressure, fever, uh, took my temperature and stuff like that. And then he went over the type of chemo that I'd be doing uh, and the dosage amounts and stuff like that. And when I'd be picking up my pills. So basically he said, so you're going to start on the 12th of December. That's your first day of radiation. And that is going to be your first day of chemotherapy as well. So when you come in for radiation, you do your radiation. Then you're going to be going to the chemo unit and then they'll get you your pills. They'll go over them. If you have any questions, you can ask them and then you start your chemo. Sounds pretty simple, right? Nah. Okay. Alright, so now here we are. December 12th, 2019. The moment we have been waiting for. Well, not really. But at least I was moving forward with a plan to rid myself of this entity alien thing that's in my body. Phase one has officially commenced. I was nervous, I was excited. That's even possible? I mean, I, I finally had my answer, so it's like there was a little bit of excitement because I knew that I was actually on the road to actually getting rid of this thing. And But I was really scared. I had no idea what I was about to experience. I had radiation and picking up my first batch of chemo pills, like. Everything was happening so fast, it felt like it was all like, it was such a rush. So I, I really didn't even have time to think about it, to be honest. But I was still scared, like there was always something happening. Uh, the first stop was radiation. My appointment was at 1130. Uh, the reception gave me a radiation schedule with the times for the week. 
as well as my follow-up appointment with the radiologist. So all that was set. So now with these times of these appointments, um, they told me that if there was any time that didn't work, just to go see the nurse at the next desk over, and they would try and figure out a time that would work better. So I had a couple of days where I had to because Pat was working nights, so I want to make that work for him too so he wasn't like up until 3 o'clock in the afternoon because I had a radiation appointment at like 2.30. So I just wanted to kind of make sure that his life was covered just as much as mine was. Now the appointments with the uh, radiologist, I would see him every second week uh, just to find out how I'm feeling, if there's anything that I need, uh, what uh, if I'm having any issues with uh, the radiation, if there's anything I need to talk about. So that was really great because, you know, it gave me time to really get an idea of what was happening, uh, what I was feeling, and if, you know, and but I knew if I felt anything and it was before my appointment, I knew that I could always, you know, uh, contact, actually, the radiation nurse. They have a little area there so you can if you have any questions you can like go right up to them and ask them so it was as much as the situation was bad the experience having to do the treatment was actually uh, good because there was a lot of support so I took my little schedule and then she told me you're going to be waiting in uh, a numbered waiting room so some days you'll be waiting in number two. That's going to be your regular waiting room, but you may be moved to number four or you may be moved to number three. It all depends on if there's any like any people waiting for radiation, waiting in that little waiting room already. So it depends on uh, where they're at specifically. So now they have numbered waiting rooms because they have four different rooms with the um, radiation machines. So... For each machine, they have a waiting room. So, makes sense. So, that was pre-COVID. So, Pat was able to come in with me for, you know, the beginning of my uh, treatments and stuff. Uh, so, he was there with me for my first day. And he waited with me in the little waiting room. And, you know, we were all nervous as hell. And, you know. and uh, But it was it was really quick. Like, we weren't waiting there forever. So uh, then we, I got called in, and then uh, my radiation technician uh, was talking to me, and I had my roller derby sweater on, you know, because that's my thing. And uh, she saw it, and she's like, oh, my God, you know, it's like, I actually tried out for that, and I went for, you know, try it, but with my schedule, I couldn't do it because just the times didn't work and stuff, so I could never do it. She's like, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, Really, like this hospital is full of roller girls. Like, it's like sweet, and I'm so happy. So then we stopped uh, at before we went into the actual room. We stopped at like this uh, desk area with like uh, where all the computers are. So she has to double check uh, who I am, double check to make sure that I'm the right person that's getting that treatment and stuff. And my uh, MRI. Uh, scan was actually on the screen so if I'm looking at my pelvis with my big tumor in my pelvis and it was like it was just freaky because it's like dude that's me 
like I couldn't believe it. Like it's like it's it was it's still so surreal, right? So we're confirming all the information and making sure it's me and stuff like that. And okay, so then after that's done, um, we go into this room but before we get there it's like this hallway with like all these different curves and stuff so it's like oh my god like it's so like it's elaborate it's like this is serious shit so when you finally walk into the room you're like walking it and the room is huge like you don't think of it being that big but it's, it's big like it's like you can fit like two or three even like mri machines in that room alone so um the room's already dark, so they keep the lights down just, you know, for comfort level and stuff. So um, I put my coat and took off my boots and put them by the chair. And then I go and sit on the table. They get me to lie down. They put cushions underneath my knees and make sure that I'm lying down on the table properly. And so then you feel the table go up. And then she tells me to just lower my pants just below my hips. Uh, she covers me up with a little cloth just, you know, for privacy, just to make me comfortable. I'm uh, making sure that those dots, those tattoo dots are visible. And uh, then she hands me this big ring and tells me to hold on to it. So basically you're lying down and you have the ring on your chest and you're holding on to it. So just so that your arms are secure so you're not moving because you cannot move all when the treatment starts now I'm lying down on this table in this machine and I'm looking at it now if you know what an x-ray machine looks like it looks like an x-ray machine but it looks like it's an x-ray machine that's morphed into an MRI machine so parts of it look like an MRI machine and then parts of it looks like an x-ray machine so I'm laying there and she's putting in the numbers, all my digits. And then uh, she lines up the dots of the box on top. She lines it up with the dots on my pelvis, which was pretty neat. So, And then she's calling out the numbers to the other technician that's waiting in the opposite room uh, with the, the function buttons to want to start the... Um, to start the treatments. So once everything's set up, she goes into that little room, shuts the door, and then over the loudspeaker, she says, okay, we're gonna start now, so don't move. So now, this machine decides to do a 360 around me. So that little x-ray box that I'm seeing on top is actually circling around me I'm like what's going on here now it does a full round and then it stops at the bottom then you hear a buzzing sound and then it moves another quarter of the way to your side buzzes again continues to the top, buzzes again, and then finally to your the other side, and buzzes again. So basically you get four shots of radiation. 
And then it does another 360. I guess it resets itself. And then it's done. I'm like, that's it? And she's on the loudspeaker. It's done. All right. So she was, I'm going to come out and take everything off of you. Okay. So doing all that. We're getting everything off. And, you know, she goes, yeah, okay. You're good to go now. And that was it. Now, all I'm thinking is, well, that, there's nothing to this. I can do this. I can do five weeks of this. There's nothing to this. Okay, perfect. Oh, my God. Was I ever wrong? Oh, my God. If I could go back and tell myself on that day that don't even think for a minute that this is going to be easy. Because it isn't. If I could, I would. Because it's almost like I wanted, like, something to be easy, knowing that everything else would be hard. And I thought, well, this is going to be a breeze, right? No, no, no.